Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Um, from the 7.30 until the end of the show, uh, invited, uh, callers are invited to call in with any questions related or unrelated to this month's subject of uh, kind of mixed topic, really. It's, um, it's a little bit of economics, uh, a little bit of um, greed, corporate greed, and idealism, and uh, a couple of characters uh, from the mid-1850s um, who had some very visionary thoughts about such concepts as the biosphere and newosphere uh, are going to be woven into the uh, discussion. Um, it's, it's very much a, uh, a point at this point in time um, where I think as a species we are definitely getting more and more uh, aware of our surroundings. The internet has made it extremely easy uh, to find out a lot of information about a lot of different things. Uh, sometimes some of it's erroneous, other times it's revelationary. Um, so there's plenty of data um, to support lots of arguments on both sides of the coin. If uh, someone wants to argue something, you can get on the internet and you can find a lot about it, sometimes uh, erroneous, sometimes accurate. But the idea is that we have got more freedom than ever. Uh, we're not confined... Uh, as it were, to libraries, to sift and trawl through volumes. Uh, we've got at the push of a button the chance to find out all sorts of things that we would never have had access to. And so therefore, uh, dissemination of knowledge has become much freer. And uh, unlike in times past, when academia and education was reserved for those people who had power, influence, money, uh, hereditary uh, money that would have kept them in the, the right position, uh, anybody with a desire to know more or a passion uh, to know more about a subject can get on the internet and uh, fairly quickly come to a fairly accurate um, opinion about a lot of things. And like I said, you know, sometimes information on the internet is not accurate and uh, can be misleading. Uh, I've found in the past here with uh, talking with Dr. Pete and looking at lots of research articles and clinical trial data and uh, all sorts of uh, controlled double-blind studies and placebo-controlled studies and randomized studies and uh, even studies that are seemingly scientific can actually be uh, misleading and erroneous. So just look at all the data, folks, and look at it objectively. And uh, you can generally find uh, the fault in some papers, and you can, more more often than not, you know, if there's money involved in it, just follow the money, and that will also lead you to the direction that will reveal some of the truth about it that you may not have uh, read, read or seen. So, like I said, this much subject um, is going to be uh, a medley of things, but with economics and greed at the heart of it, and as a species, uh, we are uh, probably more so now than ever um, more relaxed, if you like, and there we have less, and I don't mean this from a physiological perspective but less stress on us to survive because things are available in convenience stores and we don't have to hunt them now we don't have to grow them we don't have to have those skills uh, we're becoming less physical as we become more cerebral perhaps uh, and things are there uh, just like amazon will deliver it not that i agree with amazon but uh, amazon will deliver it to your door uh, you don't have to go out and get it anymore and as long as you're earning a wage uh, there is some disposable income at uh, your disposal to do that so that's part of this evening is the uh, i just want people that are listening to the show just to really sit back and think about what i'm going to say because 
um, I get my head into it a lot, and it still strikes me as kind of mind-blowing um, when I read these things and get into it in more depth and truly expose myself to it. It just highlights to me how little most people probably know uh, or understand uh, about what I'm going to say. And I think the largest <laughs> excuse uh, that you hear from people is, I'm too busy to get involved. And um, that's true enough, you know. Most folks here work in two jobs. Sometimes people work in three part-time jobs just to make ends meet. And uh, the cost of everything has skyrocketed and our attention is being captivated and by working so much so to make ends meet that we have much less time now, I think, than in the past to get involved in politics and to... Um, organize and steer the government the way that we the people want it to go and I think the opposite happens where we're completely um, blindsided uh, by the economics of the day that we live in and the debt that most people live in that they just don't have the time or the want to get involved with politics uh, not understanding that it's the root cause of the reason that we're in the debt and the poverty that we're in so it's very much up to us to get involved and uh, Getting involved with local government is probably the easiest first step that people can do to try and make positive change in their area. Uh, that's why I'm so pleased, really, to be uh, in Humboldt and this part of California anyway, especially. Um, there's a lot of grassroots movements. There's a lot of independent, free-thinking people. Uh, there's a lot of people with a lot of talents. Sometimes they don't get expressed as much as they could. Um, but ultimately, there's a lot of people in this area, largely, that have a much more eclectic outlook uh, and a much more free uh, thinking and uh, questioning and, um, you know, examining kind of spirit in them, which I think is very important in order to keep uh, open society uh, as open society and not controlled uh, by the ever-increasing government that we have. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I've, um, Dr. Pete is on the line, and um, I know that uh, most people uh, who've listened to the show certainly um, under understand where Dr. Pete is coming from. He's a very uh, open-minded free thinker who um, has spent most of his life in academia uh, researching after doing his PhD, researching subjects that are increasingly um, being brought to light to be showing us a very different way to live to live, and a very different uh, perspective that he has on many different subjects. So I will be joined by Dr. Pete here in a moment. I wanted to start with a, a kind of monologue that I drew up uh, during yesterday and today as a kind of basis for the show, uh, but always uh, we'll get Dr. Pete's perspective on it because uh, it's very different from uh, how you would normally think he would answer things. So I'd be quite interested to hear how he's going to uh, respond. I never really plan this with him. Uh, we never really talk about how we're going to answer the questions or what I'm going to say and what he's going to say. He's always very ad-lib and extremely, uh, extremely lucid. I think he's 81 or 82 now. Maybe you'll correct me when he comes on. But um, he is more lucid and with it than a lot of 20 or 30-year-old uh, academics that I, uh, I've known and know. So anyway, um, what I wanted to say was that uh, from an economic perspective then, let's just look at greed. Uh, coupled with runaway inflation and the resulting decline in spending power of industrialized nations, it fuels this chemically altered world that we live in. Now, this economic uphill struggle 
to support sustainability and organically raised foods creates a sense of loss for an otherwise enhanced and healthy environment, both psychologically and physically for us all. So just bear with me on that for a second, both psychologically and physically for us all. So it's a a holistic approach to this, psychologically and physically. Now, the cost of living in real terms from 1950 to the present time for three particular metrics I'm going to look at, which are very uh, standard in this day and age, we can relate to it in the 1950s and we can relate to it today. Uh, One's average family income, the second is an average car cost, and the third is an average uh, median house price. Okay, so in 1950, the average family income was $3,300. And the average car cost $1,500. And the median house price was about $7,300. So your average car cost would be half of your average income and your average house price would be just over two times your family income. That was back in 1950. Now, when you hear people talking, you hear the 20-year-olds, the 30-year-old millennials talking about uh, price of living, the cost of things, and their parents saying, well, in our day, it was a lot cheaper. And their parents' parents, their grandparents saying, it was even better in our day uh, when America was great. Uh, And I know it was. Uh, It's not so great now, unfortunately, folks, but that's that's another subject. Uh, So from the 30s to the 50s, um, things were really doing very well for the states. And uh, from the 50s even to the 70s, things were going really well. Around about 1973, things started rapidly increasing in price and the uh, average wealth of people started rapidly declining. And it's funny, when you look at the uh, national debt, that also took a, a rapid spike, uh, actually much more around the 90s, but um, uh, after the uh, oil problems in the 70s and the price of gold uh, being fairly high, uh, then you'll find that things started shifting uh, as uh, various other products became the kind of leading market uh, dominators. So anyway, those three costs, uh, the average income for the home, um, sorry, the average income, uh, 3300 the average car was 1500 and the average median, sorry, median house price was 7300 So now these important metrics allow relative comparisons across time now when we form ratios from them. So the home price income against income was 2.2 and the car cost against income was 0.45. Now in 2014, the U.S. Census Bureau showed these following values. The average family income was $51,000, the average car cost $31,000, and the median home price was now $188,000. So as a a ratio here, an index, the home price to income has suddenly gone to 3.7, which is 1.68 times what it was in 1950. So no wonder people can't get on the housing ladder. Uh, this was the same when I was uh, I was young in the 80s. Um, I know that then people were just able to get onto the housing market ladder. Uh, and by the 1990s, it was becoming very obvious that it was getting very expensive to get your initial down payment for a mortgage anyway in England um, that previously had been quite attainable by people 20 or 30 years ago. Okay, the... Uh, the engineer is telling me there's a caller on the line. Well, uh, let's let's just let's go with the caller as he's here. But tip, generally, I wouldn't. But let's take this caller. Call away from and what's your question? Oh yeah, greetings from San Francisco. Okay, what's your question, caller? Well, a couple of different things. I was gonna. I, I heard you talking about the um, uh, standard of living from 1973, and that corresponds to a point when Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, uh, you, 
I don't know if you've ever uh, interviewed Frances Moore LePay. Uh, she wrote the book uh, Food First, okay. Beyond the yeah. Myth of Scarcity. And there's a section in there where she describes that when Nixon took us off the uh, gold standard, all of a sudden the rich of the world figured out that uh, they better invest in tangible things which would be uh, hedges against inflation. Mm -hmm. And so they started uh, buying land and, yep. and, spe and specifically buying the highest quality land uh, in order to have the highest uh, hedge against inflation. And so, for example, the starvation in Bangladesh was because the super-rich of the world started buying uh, the agricultural land at right. the foothills of the Himalayas. Yep. And they drove millions of people off the land so that, uh, you know, the, I think uh, they say that the erosion off the Himalayas is going to go on for another 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. And so all of that uh, erosion is going to turn into uh, good topsoil at the foot of the Himalayas. Further down, yeah. And so that's going to be the best agricultural land in that region of the world. And so uh, to, to feed the people out there, they'd better buy that land. And so the starvation in Bangladesh was because all of those farmers were driven down to the ocean where they were not familiar with, with gaining lifestyle or anything like that. So uh, the, that was specifically tied to the uh, Nixon removing mm -hmm. the U.S. dollar from the gold standard in, uh, I think that was 1972. And there's another book that also gives some attribution to that, and that's called the Making of the President series. Right. And uh, that Making of the President series, if you look for the one for 1972, that also talks about the re-election year of Richard Nixon. And it, if you look in the index under gold, uh, it uh, it gives a very similar breakdown on uh, on the economy, and as it becomes basically uh, very manipulated. <clears throat> the other thing I was going to raise, and the, my ears perked up when you were talking about um, you know uh, people having deliveries, Amazon and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, if you read old books, you know, hundred year old books, fifty year old books, uh, you know, biographies of the '30s or anything like that, a whole lot of people especially kids, orphaned kids, uh, were making money being like delivery boys. Uh, they'd go down to the grocery store and deliver packages and groceries for the, um, you know, the little old ladies or whatever. They'd make, uh, you know, a decent little income for a teenage kid was being a delivery boy. And uh, the only trouble with Amazon doing that is they're doing it on a global, uh, in a global sense. And so the, the, you know, the new generation of kids are no longer able to make money on the side uh, being delivery boys. And what's even worse with Amazon is, is that the payment is done electronically, which means that uh, every small town that gets delivery, that money is sucked out of town right away. Mm -hmm. It no longer stays in, you know, in um, Ukiah. It no longer stays in, in uh, you know, Shreveport, Louisiana, or anywhere else, it, that money gets sucked to the corporate yep. headquarters of, it's, of it, Amazon, yeah. and so the local economy is decimated, uh, where a delivery boy becomes a stable part of the local sure. economy. Sure. Uh, when Amazon takes over something as mundane as delivery driving, 
uh, that all of a sudden creates a colony economics. Yeah. Well, I was going to get into the uh, the whole point of uh, wages in real terms and the importance of local supporting local economies because local economies are not controlled by central government and we have much more say in a local economy-driven uh, environment. So. Sure. Uh, Thank you, thank you for that call. I don't generally take calls before seven thirty, so uh, I was kind of a little bit caught out. But I don't normally like to turn people down. So let me just um, briefly say that the number to reach seven uh, thirty on, if you'd like to call, is nine two three three nine one one for the local area. And uh, as we always have found, uh, not just in California, but from the uh, west to east coast, people have called in before now and outside of the USA from Australia to uh, Helsinki and Finland, uh, we've had callers. But anyway, there's an 800 number, which is one eight hundred five six eight three seven two three, and we can be reached on the web too. So Dr. Pete will be joining us fairly soon. I just wanted to get through with uh, what I've started as an introduction here. Um, I just wanted to get at the point that um, the cost of living is rapidly increasing increased and one other thing in 1950 at the university of pennsylvania annual tr- tuition was six hundred dollars uh, so the tuition to income ratio there was 0.18 uh, current tuition is forty thousand a year and the tuition to income ratio now is 0.79 it's 4.3 times and student loans are fueling all of that uh, so <clears throat> this massive increase in student loans and debt amounts to about a trillion dollars at present, which in in and of itself may show us as a crisis in time to come. Uh, U.S. total debt in 2001 was 28 trillion, folks. In 2012, it was 68 trillion uh, with global debt. Now get this, global debt is currently at 217 trillion or over 327% of global GDP. So (laughs) three times three times the annual complete output would not pay for the debt. Um, So according to the Economic Policy Institute, entry-level wages of male and female college graduates has remained the same since 1973. So if you had a college graduate, uh, you had a graduate degree uh, in 73, you'd be entering the market at the same kind of wage as you'd be entering the market now uh, with a 4.3 times increase in the cost to get your education uh, but more disconcertingly, the entry-level wages for male and female high school graduates uh, from 73 to 2011 has dropped dramatically from $16 an hour, $16 an hour in 73, to $12 an hour now. So between that time from 73 to now, uh, it's dropped $4. And in real terms, everything is at least double if not more. So why is this relevant then, you might ask yourself, or ask your doctor to have this as a subject, but it's very relevant. As a disposable income income, uh, we have as employees or self-employed producers of goods or services is what we use to make lifestyle choices that ultimately has a ripple effect across the world. Now, sustainable agriculture and animal farming practices using organic production methods should create the best product possible without a doubt, hands down, no equals. Uh, It's only that this classification is now used as a trendy phrase for what was commonly done prior to the industrialization of foods and from the 1900s on has itself fallen in some cases victim to the greed and corruption plaguing non-organic production, especially mass production of organic products, including but not limited to milk production, which is what I'll get into with Dr. Pete uh, in just a minute. 
So it has both a psychological and physical effect, a truly holistic unifying theorem which, for economic's sake and greed, is being reduced to the lowest common denominator, a given form by massive corporate control of agribusiness and truly unimaginable scale production of corporate food globally. From animal factory farming to mega arable farming, none of which is organically produced and all of which is degrading the environment. Um, So, Dr. P, are you there with us? Hi, thanks Thanks for joining us. Well, we had an early caller there, and uh, I was actually wanted to get your take on what he'd said. I don't know if you heard his question, and you don't have to answer it, but um, I guess first things first, can I just get you to uh, outline your uh, academic and professional uh, background and career for those people who perhaps have never heard you? Um, yeah, I did my undergraduate study at 1953 to 56, and I had a summer job where I made $500 and with a tuition scholarship, that paid for my nine months of schooling every <laughs> wow. year. Wow. And I looked at the prices recently, and uh, it was about at least 20 times more expensive. Wow. Uh, I, I couldn't afford to go to school uh, currently, uh, where, where it was uh, something that uh, real, really uh, average and low-income people could afford in the 1950s, I, I wasn't going to ask you this, but I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean it rudely in any way. But how you are 81 or 81? Yeah. Okay. So now you would be a good candidate to ask this question because you've been around for 81 years, right? Which is, uh, which is pretty respectable in its own right. Now you've obviously seen, uh, the, and I wasn't going to ask you this, but we, I'd love you to answer it because you've seen it and been through it. But uh, you've seen the economics change in America here over the last 80 years and the cost of things increase the way they have. Uh, what do you think about um, what I mentioned earlier in the show as the intro for the kind of median house price, um, the average car price, and then the average wage, and, and what do you think about um, high school uh, graduates losing $4 an hour from 1973 to na- now, let alone getting any kind of increase to account for inflation, and then graduate students are still on the same hourly wage from 73 as they are to now. How, how do you feel about the economics? And then we'll get into to, uh, I think, what I wanted to um, question you about. A a lot of popular culture has to do with uh, keeping people from realizing that (laughs) things are getting worse and worse. Good point, good point. Um, uh, uh, For example, you were mentioning the the average income. Those are actually the median income. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The actual per capita average income in the U.S., for, for one person is uh, fifty-eight or fifty-nine thousand dollars a year. For a, a family of two point five four people, the average uh, household size, the average family income then is almost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. But since the newspapers and almost everyone refers to the average income, uh, actually re- using the median income, which uh, Huh. It neglects the, right. the vast incomes yeah. that the upper one or two percent yeah. are making. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And um, since the the gold standard was thrown out, uh, the government has had to uh, to to keep the illusion going. Uh, they're increasingly hiding information. Uh, they used to give out the uh, figures for the money supply. Uh, a few years ago, they, they uh, stopped giving out much of the information that had been routine. 
So uh, the, the reason the stock market seems to be going up is really uh, because the government is pumping money into it, basically corrupting, by, by printing corrupting money. the money, yeah, money. This is by having central banks that are basically uh, able to print money without any of any any penalty basically the money's worthless and yet we're people are still buying it people are still buying u.s treasury bonds um still buying u.s debt and debt and the oil uh oil is still pegged the dollar which is why the whole petrodollar uh, thing was coming under scrutiny uh, and it still is and that the chinese were perhaps trying to break away from it and i know that's in a lot of conspiracy circles at least the reason why Muhammad uh, Gaddafi um, basically was wanting his population to be free and he was socializing them and the Muslim uh, population there was being very westernized and uh, actually not at all radicalized and um, how he was going to use uh, fairly large reserves of gold that he had um, to go back to the gold standard and get into trading oil in Libya uh, with gold and actually I think starting to encourage the other Arab nations to do the same and this is when he was taken out and this is the whole um, It was the same with Saddam Hussein right. he, was, he was trying to get off the yeah. petrodollar and it, Venezuela is yeah, doing the same Exactly, exactly. and then look at them, they've all been either been taken over or their government's been supplanted or their country's been thrown into civil war Yeah Okay, so I, I guess without getting too far off the topic um Looking at looking at the cost of everything, um, as human beings, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd like to believe, I'd like to believe that the bulk of people have got good intentions. The bulk of people are not uh, just warlike, uh, grab as much as they can, evil, despotic people who do anything to get above the next person, and that we have probably more than ever. Um, and a consciousness uh, of the world that we live in, which wants to try and level the playing field between the poor and the rich because it's such a huge gulf now with so few people earning so much and the rest of the population um, basically being, I think, their cost of little, their standard of living being lowered uh, in, in real terms. Um, so looking at, um, I know I read your newsletter and you mentioned in part of it um, Vernadsky and... Um, uh, Teilhard de Chardin, uh, starting the concepts of the neosphere and the biosphere. And so as organisms, as human beings, you know, we are living in this biosphere and um, very much subject to the stresses uh, that we get, um, you know, that are made uh, known to us either through television or advertising or obviously debt. And I think debt is, at this point has the biggest chain around most people's necks that stops them looking sideways. Um, Relating to Vernadsky, um, he was um, looking at the, the planet as a metabolic system. Uh, the biosphere was, he saw the soil and the atmosphere and the solar energy uh, being converted to uh, to, to food and living substance. Um, his concept uh, really saw carbon dioxide as a promoter of life and uh, increasing the, uh, the quality of living. And the, I, I see the, uh, the current uh, fear of carbon dioxide as partly a distraction from the actual pollution uh, deforestation is uh, one of the major uh, causes of the carbon dioxide increase, 
but uh, it's actually doing much, uh, actually doing damage rather than uh, uh, the um, carbon dioxide increase that they're talking about. It's uh, degrading the, the rivers. Uh, the uh, the oceans are being degraded by the uh, uh, petroleum spills and chemical uh, runoff from from the uh, uh, use of uh, uh, mass chemi- chemicals in agriculture. Uh, but the um, the propaganda machine, uh, for example, the website Politico, uh, a big uh, it's uh, it was funded by uh, the uh, money from uh, the biggest bank in Washington, D.C., uh, and it, it represents the, the ruling class ideology. Um, uh, an article that was uh, came out on political a few weeks ago uh, was written by a mathematician saying that he had uh, demonstrated that uh, the rising carbon dioxide was going to degrade the food food supply by stimulating mm-hmm. the growth of plants and and his reasoning was that uh, it was based on a, a complete upside down version of what happens when you shine light on plankton uh, it stimulates the growth of the uh, the plant part the algae uh, and uh, absorbs carbon dioxide and uh, uh, suppresses the growth of the animal part of the plankton, and he said that that was uh, analogous to the stimulation of plant growth by carbon dioxide. But what actually happens uh, in in the uh, the first part of his explanation, the uh, the plant growth stimulation by carbon by the sunlight steals carbon dioxide that would make minerals available to the animals. Uh, so it's the carbon dioxide deficiency that he started from to argue uh, that a carbon dioxide excess would do the same thing. So he was completely unbiological and, and backwards in his reasoning, but uh, that uh, went around. Uh, many other uh, media picked it up and uh, argued that uh, it's really <clears throat> degrading the food supply to stimulate growth with carbon dioxide. But uh, Vernadsky was exactly right. The carbon dioxide is part of the soil forming process. Uh, the plants secrete acids uh, from their roots to dissolve minerals, but the carbon dioxide carried into the soil from the atmosphere uh, is part of the process of uh, making minerals more available uh, right. to plants. Um, yeah. So the, uh, the the mass media uh, are are still promoting myths to uh, 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 to, to, to confuse the uh, the argument, uh, make people uh, worry about a, a false. Right. Process get, them, get them looking in the opposite the direction. Real pollution. <laughs> I think what you said captured that when you mentioned the uh, the fact that it's in the American government's machine interest to uh, steer people away from looking too hard in the right direction. And um, 
uh, not publishing a lot of figures that you mentioned uh, in terms of financial fiscal figures, especially to do with government debt. Well, we hear about the government debt a lot, but there's a lot of other uh, features of banking and finance uh, that we don't hear about these days that used to be published. And I think uh, I was thinking when that caller called in about uh, Nixon and the gold stand in 72, that Nixon got taken out not long after <laughs> not long after being involved in politics by that Watergate scandal, which is nothing compared to na- what, what's going on now, what has happened in the last few years. It would make Watergate look like a complete tea party. Okay, so you're listening to Ask Your Doctor on uh, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in the questions either related or unrelated to this month's mixed topic of economics, organic production, and uh, holistic um, ways of being, really, uh, in terms of uh, finding out the information and making uh, real, proper life choices. Uh, so if you're in the area, 923-3911, or as an 800 number, which is one 800 568-3723-1800-KMUD-RAD. Uh, so, Dr. P, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit more about the uh, economic side of it. I was thinking earlier that uh, in terms of real wages, in terms of what is the disposable part of your income and what it is that we do as people with our disposable income, and knowing that I think most people... Um, Maybe it's just maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just coming from a, a single-sided perspective here. But I, I would have thought most people would think that certified organic production is the better option over industrialized farming, and that certified uh, soil pr- practices are better for the earth, and that sustainable uh, and local uh, derived products are better for the environment in general, um, and that with our disposable income we could put our money where our mouth is and buy those things and support those ideals and those products and boycott those mega corporations that we don't want to do business with. Uh, but that the actual real cost of our disposable income has gone down so much and the government, I think, largely through not releasing these kind of uh, figures to make it obvious to us, have really kept, the, kept a lot of people in the dark. And I think when so many people are burdened with student loans where they've gone through an education that's basically worthless and they spent thousands and thousands of dollars trying to study something that hopefully they had a passion for in the first place and they weren't just looking for a better wage from a higher power job Um, but they suddenly find themselves in a marketplace with tens of thousands of other qualified people all earning a vastly lower wage than they were in the 70s and with much greater debt than they ever had before so uh, what do you what do you think of that um, the, even the health statistics, for example, longevity uh, and disease incidents, uh, these are being uh, falsified. Uh, in the 90s, uh, the government declared that it had won the war on cancer. Right. And at the time, 94, uh, I pointed out that uh, the Secretary of Health was uh, using phony statistics, and looking at the figures, I predicted that they would have to change the rules by the end of the century, because the the way they were falsifying the statistics, the the arrival of the baby boom population bulge, by the year 2000, the cancer rate of this huge population bulge was going to make it impossible to to uh, 
keep up the illusion that uh, longevity was increasing, that cancer was decreasing, and so on. And exactly, I, I think it was the year 2000, the U.S. Bureau of, of Statistics changed the rules and stopped giving out the raw figures and uh, have only age-standardized uh, figures on, on health and longevity and uh, age-specific death rates and so on. Uh, so so people are, are really uh, being uh, put into a, a dream world mm-hmm. in which nothing is real. Yeah. We do have a caller. Let's, let's get this next caller before we continue that thread. Caller, you're on the air. Way from, what's your question? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. What's your question? Way from? I'm from Locksburg area. Okay. What's your question? Darn it. I just get lost. Can you hear me now? Hello. Yeah, go ahead. What's your question? Yes, I had a medical question. It doesn't. It somewhat pertains to what you're talking about. But if, is that all right to ask a question? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Can you not hear me? Um, yes, I I um, had called back year, uh, years ago, and I had this uh, lump on my neck, and Doctor Pete suggested eating carrots and other things, and not going to. Uh, any kind of a CAT scan or anything like that. So this went on for years, and it ended up being a, a cancer tumor. Mm-hmm. And I had it removed in Mexico and then, and then came up here and went through uh, chemo and radiation. And my, my medical question was, is a year later now, I um, was cutting a small amount of poison oak, and I thought I had poison oak on me, and all of a sudden this huge rash went over my shoulder and down around the area where the tumor was. And fortunately, my girlfriend... I'd gone online, like you were mentioning, the information online, and saw that maybe it was shingles, mm-hmm. which I had no idea about. Right. And I wonder if Dr. Pete could talk a little bit about, about that and if that actually was related to the radiation treatment and chemo. Sure, well, it would lower your resistance for sure, and uh, shingles can be reactivated chickenpox at any point in a person's life, especially if they're under stress. I, I wanted to ask you, caller, first things first, before uh, going any further, um, what was the cancer that they identified? Uh, um, you know, I, I'm so confused with names, but it was some sort of a, 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 a skin-type cancer so that it was, like was unusual for this lump to be there. And it took, it took about... Um, 12 to 15 years to develop into this right. massive lump on my neck that so, was actually breaking out and coming out of out of my skin. So it was a benign cancer in some in some terms, and it wasn't metastasizing, it wasn't spreading. It took 12 years to evolve, and yes, and then finally yeah. it got so bad that uh, that local doctors wouldn't touch it or try to cut it cut it out. So I had to go through chemo and all these different things, but it's somewhat much better now a little swelling there okay and so, i was just wondering if that, that had something to do with the shingles or if i should go and consult a uh, a doctor it's yeah. going away now after about a week but okay. it looked just like a bad case of poison oak okay was it extremely sensitive to the touch um very but, sensitive but yeah. not very itchy like poison um, oak would have been was, was it in a defined I, i'll just jump in very quickly before i let dr pete answer but i'm just kind of interested uh it, true well dr pete probably won't agree with this even i've always been taught uh that shingles uh, is a defined dermatomal area that can along the length of the nerve uh, erupt into a vesicular outbreak but dr pete let me let me ask you because i know you've got a probably very different approach to what this gentleman was talking about. Um, well, just in case it's um, 
uh, actually poison oak. Uh, I had the experience uh, in my teens of being extremely sensitive to poison oak. Uh, I was working in the woods uh, for the Bureau of Land Management and uh, could hardly uh, stand. Uh, my, my sleep was uh, interrupted by extreme poison oak. And the, the word went around the camp that vitamin C, which was new on the market, uh, it was just uh, uh, fairly expensive coming out in 50-milligram tablets. Uh, the word went around that vitamin C protected against poison oak. Uh, so at the end of the week, I bought a bottle, took a few tablets, 50 or 100 milligrams, and suddenly the poison oak disappeared, and I never had it again. Uh, about mm. 65 years later. Uh, yeah, no. I'm not I'm not really uh, sensitive to poison oak. I've been here for about 40 years. I get it just just a little bit, but it, it was like just a little bit, and by a day or two later, my whole shoulder and down my back turned into these huge bubbles, these blackening bubbles. Mm. And I've been familiar with poison oak. Usually it's blotchy, and then if you itch it, it gets worse and worse, but this was like just a takeover of my skin, and is that very... Uh, I, I have that form of a, a bubbly and crispy crust. Yeah, yeah, just uh, turn all down my back and stuff. It, but, it, on, one, on one side of my body, though, it's not I, on any other place, just all over the one side, shoulder, underneath my neck, down my chest a bit, and... And if now, it, now it's if, getting better. We've been I've been eating organically for years and years, so I assumed that my diet really helped. And then we put like witch hazel on there to to calm it down, and some uh, neem oil and other things. So, is it is it something that you should pay a lot of attention to later on, or is will it go away and just be gone? Um, if it's poison oak. Uh it's possible that you'll never suffer from it again. If it's a, a virus, shingles, uh, yeah. uh, I think it, it's a good idea to uh, have your vitamin D level checked. Uh, vitamin D is a very powerful antiviral. Uh, it it mm -hmm. regulates uh, all the levels of your immune system. Uh, and uh, it, your serum level should be in the middle of the range, around 50 nanograms per milliliter. Oh, okay. Okay, well, we but, do have two thank more. You, yeah, you're thank very you very welcome. much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate your call, caller. We've got two more okay. callers, so let's take the next caller. Caller, where are you from? What's your question? Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Where, where are you from, and what's your question? Hi, I'm from the New York City area. Okay, and what's your um, question? I was wondering uh, if... Dr. Pete had any advice on finding dentists to use the filling materials he recommends, which from what I read was uh, calcium oxide for root canals and um, sorrel cements for regular fillings. And, and how should uh, I understand the importance of those materials? Dr. Pete, filling, filling material for teeth, what's your uh, current? Uh, uh, for the root canal, I think the, the calcium, uh, the, it, it's antiseptic and anesthetic, and uh, uh, it, it's uh, traditional but uh, safer than uh, than the gutta percha or uh, metal fillings. And 
the composite uh, fillings are now uh, high enough in in strength that they're good for even the, the chewing teeth. Okay. Um, do you have any advice on finding dentists to use those? Because I think I've emailed like dozens of people and haven't found uh, much results of that. Um, I've, for about 50 years, had all my dentistry done in Mexico because they emphasize skill, dexterity, and care rather than speed and profit. <laughs> so it could be, worth, it could be worth a trip to Mexico purely for dentistry. I know lots of people do it for medical issues like surgeries, but... Okay, well, we do have another caller on there. Let's get this next caller. So, call. Hello. Yeah, where are you from and what's your question? Yes, um, I'm from Phillipsville. And um, more than a question, I, I have a comment. Um, the fellow that was talking about uh, getting poison oak and then it turning into shingles, but he talked about having cancer, having this lump that, uh, that, that grew and became very large, um, and he had to have all kinds of uh, cancer therapies to get rid of it. And you made a comment saying that it, because it hadn't metastasized, you referred to it as a benign cancer. Mm -hmm. That's an oxymoron. There yeah. is no such thing as benign <laughs> cancer. There is a benign tumor, but the, but benign means it's not cancer. Self-contained. If you have yeah, a lump about. and it's cancer, they call it malignant. If it's a lump that is ben, that is not cancer, they call it benign. So there's no such thing as benign cancer. So what were you talking about? <laughs> okay, well, I don't need to go there with that. I don't need to defend myself. Uh, like, what was that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I need to defend myself with that. Thanks you for don't think you need to explain why you referred to cancer as benign when there's no such thing? Well, if you look at, if you look at moles, moles are cancers, but they are benign. Uh, when they're there's a precancerous condition mm -hmm. which hasn't developed into cancer. But if it's cancer, it's malignant. It's not benign. Um, a lot of the language used medically in relation to cancer has been uh, to promote the business of, of the oncologists. Um, Fifty or sixty years ago, cancers were things that were uh, definitely uh, identified as benign. The language was escalated so that something which formerly was not cancer was called precancer and then cancer. Uh, the, the, um, if, if you use the language of 1940, uh, many cancers wouldn't exist that are now officially named as, as a cancer. And treatable but and don't they refer to cancer as malignant and a, and a tumor that's not cancer as benign? Um, an article in JAMA about 40 years ago looked at the evidence of the pathology methods of analyzing the properties of the cytoplasm, nucleus ratio, and the matter of disorganization and invasion and so on. And in this article, it was demonstrated that a healing wound, uh, if it's biopsied, will show all of the properties that are used by the pathologist to, to identify cancer. Uh, so 
uh, what is defined as cancer uh, has become more inclusive. And if you happen to uh, uh, have an injury that gets biopsied, it'll be called cancer because it has the properties of of, of rapid growth, uh, invasive appearance, and so on. Well, then, is that benign or malignant? Uh, this this article was pointing out that you can't tell uh, that the only way you can tell if something is going to be malignant is wait and see. Well, if you told this you... fellow not to go to the doctor when his lump was small, and he took your advice, and it grew and grew and grew and became cancer, and uh, he had to have all kinds of, of difficult therapy. They couldn't even remove it. He had to have chemotherapy to shrink it before they could even remove it. Why did you tell him not to go to a doctor when he first had it? I don't remember uh, saying that. I don't think I ever tell people not to go to doctors. I, I don't think he did either. I, I think. Oh, been... I misunderstood then because I thought he said he had spoken with you uh, when he first got it and that you had told him not to go to a doctor. I, I never tell people not to go to doctors, but I tell them to think and question what the doctor tells them to do. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Well, thank, that's very important. Thank, thanks for the call. It sounds like a uh, more of more of a battle of words here. Okay, we've got two more calls. Uh, so let's say the next caller. Call away from. What's your question? I'm in Whitethorn. <clears throat> I have a comment and a question. My first comment for the prior caller is the best dentist I have ever seen is James Matson in Fort Bragg. Okay, James Matson in Fort Bragg. Yeah, uh, Doctor Matson. Okay, all right. Lasers. Super high tech, very professional, very soothing, great, great dentist. Best one I've ever seen. Okay. My other question, though, is about sclerosing mesenteritis. Are there any herbs that might help, you know, dissolve the internal scar tissue? Dissolving internal scar tissue. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. A little difficult in terms of any tissue that's truly become fibrotic. Uh, and has been organized that way to do that. Um, it's not that easy. Um, I don't know, Dr. P, if, you, if you're looking at scar tissue, I know there are some things that they uh, have said in the past are good for dissolving scars, but I think once tissue's gotten as organized as a proper uh, scar uh, with those fibrin and connectins, uh, I think they're fairly insoluble. Well, what's, I, I may, maybe something like progesterone might be useful in that case. But Yeah, I've had experience with some uh, fibrotic uh, lumps and scars. Uh, that, um, For example, vitamin E, I had a, a vaccination scar uh, from the time I was 18 until I was in my 40s. It was bulgy and red, and I put vitamin E on it, and in a week it had essentially disappeared uh, but uh, a very hard lump uh, sometimes takes uh, six months or so of, of uh, anti-inflammatory uh, vitamin E uh, progesterone uh, to total nutrition improvement can uh, accelerate the, the vitamin tissue. E orally uh, vitamin E topically Dr. B Oh, in the case of a, of a scar yeah. in your skin, yes. Oh, no, it's inside. Yeah. Sclerosing mesenteritis. Yeah, so that would have to be taken internally. But do you think, Dr. Pete, that vitamin E taken internally would uh, really have any topical effect on that, or do you think it... Uh, no. No. Uh, but but no. The, um, a lot of the uh, sclerosing problems are uh, 
calcification, uh, abnormal calcification, and hence uh, uh, Selye uh, pioneered uh, the study of how to cause and regress uh, calcified tissue, various types of sclerosis, and uh, uh, that's a good place to start. But uh, uh, vitamin D by Vitamin D and the high calcium intake to lower your parathyroid hormone is part of the process of uh, reversing calcified tissue. Uh, vitamin K is another uh, anti-soft tissue calcification factor. What was the name of the person you said had studied this? Ken? Hans Selye, S-E-L-Y-E? Yes. S-E-L-Y-E. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. All right, there's another caller, so let's get this next caller. Caller, where are you from and what's your question? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Where are you from and what's your question? Uh, Kansas City, from Kansas City. Kansas um, City, welcome. I was just wondering, I've been listening to a lot of your old podcasts and um, and uh, the thyroid issue, and I was I didn't hear this particular question in them. I was um, diagnosed with Graves' disease, which is supposed to be hyperthyroid, mm-hmm. but I've never been hyperthyroid. And um, and I was wondering, and the, and the only way they diagnosed me, <clears throat> excuse me, was because I had the the eyes and the swelling in the feet and the legs. So did you have exophthalmos? Because they've, you know, I've been on uh, thyroid hormone for years, and I still have issues. And I was wondering, is there would you treat that differently than someone that, say, had Hashimoto's? Um, because I've got all the, I've still got elevated antibodies and all of that. Yeah. So, Dr. Pete, um, uh, Graves' disease with uh, ex- exophthalmos, I'm pretty sure it's a kind of common presenting complaint. And she said swollen feet? Um, I, yeah, the, I had the swelling on the tops of the feet and the front of the shins. I still have some of the swelling. But you said um, bul- bulging years. eyes was one, was one of the main present, presenting complaints, you said. Um, it's pitting edema, I think they call it. Um, it yeah, I, I think a, a more thorough metabolic uh, study w- would show something uh, other than the uh, antithyroid antibodies. Uh, you would want to ch- check... Uh, the steroid hormones, uh, progesterone, uh, uh, cortisol, vitamin D, uh, and the actual level of your uh, thyroid hormones, the T3 and T4 and reverse T3. Uh, uh, lots of people... We did check all of those. I, I have a new doctor, and we checked all of those, and the only thing that I was low on was testosterone. And it wasn't that low. It was just a little low. So, And I've been on vitamin D supplements for five years, and it's in the normal, I mean, it's it's usually between 60 and 80 in that range. But uh, um, I don't seem to spot, be able to find anything that I can get a handle on. Have you changed uh, uh, your uh, temperature or pulse rate in response to the thyroid? No, my, my temperature is usually between 96.6 and 97 when I wake up in the morning. But then it goes up during the day. Like it might go up to ninety-nine by the end of the day. And um, that that is uh, really not not consistent with Graves' disease. And uh, most of the people I've I've only seen one person that I think really had hyperthyroid Graves' disease. But I've uh, 
talked to many people who had the diagnosis, and some of their doctors said, well, actually, they're both hypothyroid and hyperthyroid. But uh, they were. Yeah, yeah, that's what they tell me. They tell me I'm, I have Hashimoto's and Graves now because I have all of the thyroid antibodies very high, and I'm on I'm on uh, four and a third grains of of uh, natural thyroid, and and all of my numbers come back right. But you know, I just my temperature is all whacked out. I still have some of the swelling. I just don't know what to do next. The, the um. Have, have you uh, changed the, the thyroid dose while watching your pulse rate and temperature and requirement for calories? You mean you mean like taking something that's a fast-acting thyroid, like T3? Because um, the, the T4 doesn't act very fast. I mean, uh, the T3 um, acts within an hour and a half. Uh, so if yeah, no one's ever given me a T3 supplement. Like you mean like a Cytomel or something? Yeah. So, so what, what would, how would you do that? Then you would take some Cytomel, and then you would watch for what? Do you divide your natural thyroid supplement and, and take it in fractions during the day? No, because they told me that the T4 part of it, uh, you had to take it four hours apart from any other medication and apart from food and everything. So I take it first thing in the morning. And uh, did they explain why, why you should do that? The, the well, body. they said something about the, the minerals binding the T4 or something. I don't, I don't quite understand it. Uh, since it takes a, a couple of days for anything to pass through the intestine normally, uh, sometimes longer, uh, there's plenty of time for the T4 to absorb, and your body doesn't want it to, to absorb all in an hour or two. Uh, when it does that, it uh, induces enzymes in your liver which destroy it, uh, if the body, yeah. if the liver perceives this huge uh, unphysiological surge of T4 coming in in, in a, just an hour, uh, it's going to uh, eliminate it 12 hours later so that you'll actually be hypothyroid 12 hours after you take it. I'm going to have to uh, stop you both there, I'm afraid. We're getting two minutes to the top of the hour, and I've got to wrap up with some uh, information to let people know more about you, Dr. Pete, and also uh, just to generally close out the rest of the show. So thanks for those people that have joined us tonight. Thank you, Dr. Pete, for your time. Really appreciate it. Okay. Uh, thanks for all the callers. Uh, for anybody else who has listened to the show wants to know more about Dr. Pete, He's got a uh, website, www.raypeat.com. Uh, he's not selling anything, but he's got some very good uh, scholarly articles that are fully referenced on lots of subjects that you've probably not even heard about and some of the reasons why what you think is good for you is not good for you uh, and the science behind it. So uh, like you said at the beginning of the show there, before I even asked you about it, the government want to keep a lot of the stuff quiet and they want to steer you in a general direction. Uh, you're more manageable that way once you can uh, be burdened with debt and you pay your taxes. You don't have too much time to think about too much, so you're quite controllable. Um, anyway, for those people that have listened to the show, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we can be reached one eight 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 WBMERB for further questions Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Uh, and for those of you who've listened tonight, um, Keep your ears and eyes open, you know, things are not quite where you think they are sometimes. And if you're looking in a radical new direction, chances are you may well find some fruit. Okay, so till next month, next October, uh, we're in the fall. Happy fall to you all.